This is an episode of The Politics Show for UPSU Radio, recorded on the 19th of July, 2012. For more information about The Politics Show or to listen again, please go to www.thepoliticsshow.com. Welcome to the show. My name is Michael Turner and joining me in the studio today is Ben Nutt and Nick Williams. Welcome to you both. And in today's show we'll be covering, uh, well, HSBC have been accused of seriously high levels of money laundering. Uh, G4S and the Olympic security debacle and our international focus this week is on Asia where we'll be covering China's aid to Africa and the U.S. naval fleet in the Pacific. But before all that, we'll do our weekly roundup of the papers. And Ben, what have you got there? Um, I've got the Daily Mail, and the lead story is unsurprisingly uh, about a new UK flagship. Um, the Mail had a campaign for Britain to build back in November. Be, yeah, what can only be described as a new version of Royal Yacht Britannia, um, and it's. Uh, claiming that in a rare display of unity, Cameron and Miliband back the Mail's campaign for this majestic vessel, which quite simply looks ridiculous. It's, it's <laughs> going to be, if it's ever built, which it won't be, the world's largest sailing ship. Um, <laughs> it will have sails the size of football pitches, and it will be all things to all people. It will be the Queen's personal runabout. Right. It will have uh, containers on deck where scientists will sweat their way through experiments as okay. they pass through the and tropics. We'll probably be able to put our one so, And students, our students will level. run up the rigging um, <laughs> in Force 10 gales while the ship's heeling over on its side with, with gay abandon. Um, and it's not going to happen, is it? It's it's, it's a, a Daily Mail fantasy. Right, OK. It's the magic bullet that never will be. OK. Mm. Um, anything more? Uh, there was a, just a bit on in the international focus on about um, North Korean soldiers celebrating in the Pyongyang Square due to uh, Kim Jong-un being appointed chief of the army. All oh, right. OK. Yeah, so they're all very happy about well, it. They're celebrating basically because it's in their interest to do yeah. so, whether they're they're pleased about it or not. Yeah. Um, now, speaking of celebration, we posted up on the Facebook page uh, the North Korean leader's delight at Mickey Mouse being uh, paraded in front of him. In yeah, a, I was in a, I was reminded. I don't know if you've ever seen Spielberg's worst film, 1941! Exclamation! Yeah, we saw that on the, yeah. the post. Yeah. Um, the clip of General Stilwell on December the 7th, 1941, in the cinema, crying at Dumbo. Uh, <laughs> so there is a precedent for this. <laughs> Good. Uh, Neville, what have you got there? Um, I've got I, the little version of The Independent. Um, and this has got a stunning picture on page 10. You'd think you'd have learned by now. Um, it's Prince Charles getting down with the youth um, of uh, St. Helier in Jersey um, on their climbing war at the gym of Grainville Secondary School, mm. um, in his pinstripe suit. Um, with his big ears. With his big ears, and about all of about eight inches off the ground, looking, looking like a mountaineer in a suit. Right. Um, uh, you've got to give him credit. He does try um, to connect with people. He's just crap at it. But it's it's always a, a photographic disaster, and you'd think his advisers would have 
would have got the message through by now, really. God's sake, never mind. Um, okay, I've got the mirror here, and um, oh, the heiress to the um, huge Tetra Pak fund, if, uh, if you like, um, uh, the, it's just been turned up in court today. Um, that is Eva Rosing's body uh, uh, was found under bin bags in a sealed room. The court heard today. This is kind of everyone li- loves hearing about this, uh, uh, this millionaire is, tragedies. This is a story that's obsessed the papers. Yeah, yeah, and apparently there was some kind of serious kind of drug abuse um, uh, allegations going on there and things like that but um, seems like a sad way to go apparently um, he was arrested um, basically for concealing the body yeah yes. that's right um, anyway and also in the times I have um, well um, a sad kind of close circle is being picked off it seems by um, members of the Liberation Army as well Mm. It's a difficult one to call. Um, on the one hand, you've got um, the rebels saying that they're mounting an all-out assault on Damascus. On the other hand, you've got the Syrian government saying, well, it's just one or two little incidents. And in the absence of independent reporting in Syria, it's it's difficult to actually tell where the truth lies between yeah. those. And Martin Fletcher's actually kind of uh, talking about how this is perhaps the first time that um, rebels have managed to get close to Assad, if you like. And it's, it's certainly a, a propaganda coup yeah. and a lucky stroke for them. I, it sounds odd sort of saying that about murder, but this is this is effectively the most harm they've done yeah, and we, I suppose we've got to be careful here that we don't want to portray as if this is a, a balanced fight. If mm. it's anything but, um, the the Assad regime have a serious advantage over the rebels here, and so um, um, I think that a delicate kind of a delicate way has to be forged here when you're when people are writing about and uh, reporting about how close they've managed to be able to get to the Assad regime. Mm. Anyway, I think we should leave it there and move on to our first topic, which is, well, we're back with the banks, aren't we? This is uh, HSBC are being accused of some seriously high levels of money laundering. Um, This is mainly through uh, Mexican drug cartels depositing large sums of cash uh, and then not following it up, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, basically it's... um U.S. Senators Carl Levin and Tom Co- Tom Coburn have been carrying out a investigation that's lasted around a year, um, which is looking at banks as a whole in America, and they've managed to have uncovered um, HSBC's failure to enforce anti anti money laundering laws, which has left America's financial system exposed to. Uh, Mexican drug cartels, money laundering, um, a Saudi Arabian bank with uh, close links to Al Qaeda, and um, it gets rare worse. Yeah. I mean, Iran, Sudan, the yeah. axes of evil, Iran and Sudan, with uh, access to these banks. Um, HSBC claimed that it's in the U.S. interests to uh, have them working there because it opens doors for them in Asia. Um, but the report that Levin uh, published uh, with the help of Coburn um, suggested that HSBC have uh, seen the United States with their quite liberal banking regulations um, as the easiest place in which they could allow money to be laundered. 
Mm. Which makes a change, because quite often London is seen as the soft touch, isn't it? And this is a 335-page report. They have gone into some depth on this. And what we're seeing is a little bit of deja vu, really. Uh, one of the things that Senator Coburn has said was that the US bank regulator that was supposed to be monitoring this was a lapdog. Um, they mm. haven't effectively controlled... Yep. Uh, what was going on? So is this, is this uh, it seems to me that we've had a, a long string of events where banks basically have been getting away, undermining kind of like f uh, f financial service authorities uh, mm. around the world. Is this a case of people in the financial services are too close to elected politicians or are they just one and the same? Well, this is this is the $64,000 question, isn't it? I mean, you've got Ed Miliband calling for an investigation into banking. Yep. Um, but then again, it goes back beyond the Tories. It goes back many, many years um, throughout the Labour administration and throughout the Tories before then probably um, goes... If you go back to the 70s, you'll find links with some of the Labour um, politicians even then. Yep. Um, it's a tough one. I mean, we are talking about of an awful lot of money here, hundreds of millions. So can we get down to the specifics of what this actually means physically? Is it that they just aren't checking where the money's coming from? Well, Are they turning a blind or, eye to or this, or, or is it sloppy, or sloppy management? There is supposed to be a system in place. Um, Incompetence. Yes. Um, the, any large sums of money that are paid into a bank are supposed to trigger what's called an anti-money laundering alert, okay. which the bank is then supposed to follow up, ask it's questions, a big red where's flag this money coming from? When large sums of money are deposited. Yeah. Right. Now, HSBC's target was not more than 2% of these alerts would stay in the system for over 120 days without being resolved. That didn't happen. Um, when, in early 2010, the US Treasury Department's Office of the Controller of the Currency looked into it, they found a backlog of more than 17,000 unreviewed alerts, as well as a backlog of requests for enhanced due diligence reviews. I mean, uh, they asked for the bank to eliminate the backlog, and they didn't. And clearly they stood to profit from having these deposits in their bank. Well, of and course, so, yes. So this they, is how the banks work. They gain interest on the, on the money deposited with them, and we're talking about quite large sums of money. Right. Okay. So... Is this, uh, Ben, just an example of how kind of multilateral negotiation just doesn't work? You cannot legislate on a scale this big. Yeah. You know, there's always going to be banks in the Cayman Islands or Switzerland or wherever else which are not going to disclose where the money comes from. Yeah, uh, exactly. It um, unfortunately demonstrates uh, that a result of low government regulations on banks... Uh, and the then global nature of banks is just incompatible, and they just can't operate on such a high globalised scale. Yeah, and this is international. I mean, it's spread to India. Um, India, the, the branch of HSBC in India, was supposed to take part in the um, regulation of the system. Yep. And so questions are now being asked in India about their regulation of the banking sector. This is a, truly a global problem. Yep. Uh, we haven't got a huge amount of time left. But, due um, to what separates this from the other banking debacles is normally when you come across things like this, people sort of stand up and go, oh, we had no idea that these things were happening. But, yeah, uh, yeah, like Bob uh, Diamond, etc. Yeah. <laughs> but HSB uh, representatives have come out and quoted saying uh, to the Mexican uh, official 
but we just can't keep rubber stamping unacceptable risks merely because someone on the business side writes us a nice letter. So they knew that, evidently knew that something dodgy was going on, but then decided not to act on it. Yeah, there's a great quote here mm. from um, Douglas Stolberg, who was the head of commercial and institutional banking. This goes back to 2001. Um, uh, with uh, money coming in from what was then Iran's largest commercial bank. And he actually asked a colleague, with the amount of smoke coming off this gun, remind me again why we should be supporting this business. OK, and, and just, yet they did. Just to kind of finish this topic up, we have uh, Lord Green, uh, the UK Trade Minister, uh, involved in some fashion. I mean, <laughs> we, let, we can't say that we don't expect well, that. Well, you current... say involved in some fashion. He was their UK chairman <laughs> for three or four years, wasn't he? While this was going on. OK, yeah. that was a bit of an understatement, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but, yeah, OK, so he was the... UK um, branch of HSBC, um, their chief executive uh, from 2003 to 2006. He's now in the uh, coalition government. Um, he must have known about something like this going on. This is this is well, you would think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this is the same guy who has wrote, wrote a book on the value uh, of um, money, morality, and uncertainty in the world. Yes, you couldn't make it up, yeah. could you? And already, I believe, one of the Guardian's writers has suggested that he might want to revisit and rewrite at least part of that yeah. book. Yeah. Meanwhile, a senior Downing Street source has said David Cameron's standing by Lord Green. Surprise, surprise. Um, surprise there's yeah. a surprise, um, saying there's no appetite for him to cease being a trade minister. Well, they didn't think... even say that. They yeah. just turned the same record on from the last bank yeah. in the Okay, right, we've got to leave it there due to some technical <laughs> difficulties before uh, the show and we are running fast out of time. So uh, let's move on to uh, Olympic security chaos. I I've got to say this first, though. We called it, didn't we? We did. We called this earlier on in the year when we were kind of talking the about... The Jubilee. The Jubilee, yes. yeah. Um, Nev, that, that, was, that was a kind of harbinger of doom, yeah. wasn't can, it? Can you fill us in on what the current debacle stage is like? Um, the situation is that G4S, um, something about breweries springs to mind here. <laughs> um, it, it's just getting farcical. We've yeah. got already 3,000 troops have been um, called in to dr drafted in to add security. We've got police forces cancelling leave and being drafted in to provide security. Yeah. And quite possibly and this, this even all, more troops. This is because, all a greater expense, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Because G4S couldn't actually fulfil their contract and the basic part of it, if you're in the security business, supplying security staff. Okay. Some 14 days before the Olympics are due to start, they've decided to come out and tell the government that they can't actually meet their so, quota. So what's the scale of the problem? How many troops are they... Or not well, sorry, how, many, how much staff are they not being able to well, provide? Their, their contract for £284 million was to provide 13,700 security personnel, okay. of which they currently have circa 4,000 trained, yeah. ready to go. Now, one of the reasons for this might be um, that although when they bid for the contract, they said they would be paying the market rate of about £10 an hour, which is already a bit low, market rate's mm. about 9 to £12. Yeah. In fact, they offered £8.50 an hour. So this might explain why people weren't flocking to G4S they to do the job. They have said that they have 9,000... Uh, that are nearly ready. Um, but then the games, the games 40... have effectively already started. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we need security now because we've got athletes arriving in and, the country. And by my maths, that still makes them 700 people short for fulfilling the quota that they were intended to do. Mm. So, yeah. 
where okay. are we going to get these other 700 people from, from police forces in Northumberland? Like yeah, and the likelihood is that the, the job will be rushed and these won't be properly trained and all the rest of it, okay? Yes. Uh, we've all heard shock stories about, um, you know, fully qualified doormen and things like that being turned away and yeah. and <laughs> other people who weren't actually allowed to work in the UK being allowed. Yeah, two illegal immigrants but we haven't through got, the vetting We system. haven't got time for that today, I'm afraid. Um, no. So... Yes, we've had the PAC, uh, that is the Public Accounts Committee chairman, um, criticising um, the uh, way that the government have dealt with this. They really should have known about this earlier. Theresa May says, well, you know, we have only just been told about it. Philip Hammond says otherwise. And, well, Jeremy Hunt. Well, <laughs> yeah. we, we, well we, not that we believe much what he says yeah. anyway. Yeah, um, but but basically, even if they didn't know about this till the last minute, should they not really not have like a backup plan? Contingency plan. You'd have thought so. It's yeah. the biggest yes. event that's happened in the UK for probably fifty years, yeah. and and it has to be said, the warning signs have been there for many years that G4S is not necessarily the best organisation to go to, yeah. and they run or have run quite a few high-profile things, such as uh, several prisons, detention centres. They had the contract for shipping prisoners to and from prisons, and there have been a catalogue of errors. In the early 1990s, several prisoners escaped while being transported by what was then Group 4 <laughs> to and from prison. Um, they received hundreds of complaints in just in 2010 alone about um, allegations of assault and racism at their three immigration detention centres. Um, an Angolan detainee, Jimmy Mubenga, died after allegedly being restrained by G4S guards in 2010. Birmingham Prison, they managed to lose a set of keys fitting every cell door. That cost £250,000 to replace. And best one of all, in August 2011, they managed to attach an electronic monitoring tag to a one-legged criminal's false leg. <laughs> so he left his leg at home and went out about his normal no, he business. You couldn't make this up, could you? This is, is this really the kind of company you want to entrust London security to? For something as multi big as the Olympics, and, and yeah, million-pound athletes as well. These people yeah. are yeah. protecting. Okay, well, Margaret Hodges called this a, a complete last-minute scramble, and she's called on them to be able to get a grip. Now, does it really matter then if we just draft in the full security for the Olympics from the army and from the Well, forces? it matters to the forces because a lot of them have just returned from Afghanistan and we're kind of looking forward to a bit of leave with their families. Right. So aside from is it fair to them, you've also got the issue of are people who've just come out of what is effectively a combat situation deployment, you know, putting them on the streets of London with several million civilians, is this going to lead to tensions? Yeah. Is this going to cause problems? It might. And it yeah. also goes against It'll be a what diff Sebastian different... Coe wanted the Olympics to be, which was uh, a civilian affair, not a show of uh, enforcement mm. by the UK government. And yet we've got helicopter gunships, we've got HMS Ocean moored on the Thames, uh, we've got rockets rockets on roofs and in parks. You know, these are things that people don't see day to day. I mean, yeah. as as, as but, big as they are, you're not necessarily... But if you see army, army troops in army uniform, they're, they're a bit difficult to miss yeah, they on the streets. they don't have to be in army uniform, do they? Um, well, they probably will be. Yeah, they on, probably will yeah. be, but they don't have to be. Well, I don't know, actually. Um, there's, a, there's an interesting question there on the Geneva Convention about the deployment of troops. Mm. I suspect they probably do have to be. Okay. Um, 
it's quite all quite interesting, and I'm sure the Olympics are going to be a great event regardless. But the because of the security debacle, um, also the Olympic Games organisers um, have had their opening spectacle cut short by 30 minutes, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, it, is, um, in order to ensure that everyone gets home safe and sound. Have they cut Duran Duran, though? That's the question. And to well. the Olympic Park on time. They're worried about not getting to the Olympic opening ceremony on time, so they've cut it short by yeah. half an hour. There's, there's been a lot of programmas about how basically quite crap the, uh, the London Olympics are expected to be. <laughs> Um, and, the, and actually, we're quite happy about that. Does it really uh, matter that we have like a, an opening spectacle that is as good as Beijing's, for instance? Can well, we even? Danny, Danny Boyle's organising it, so mm. yeah, it should be quite good. But. I mean, it's it's an interesting scenario. The government and the last government have been very keen to claim all of the glory mm. for first of all winning the Olympics for London, and then all the glory of. You know, things progressing um, it has to be said they should really stump up and take their share of the blame if it all goes horribly wrong right yeah well I don't think that's what politicians want to do generally so um, no, yeah. they're not known for it we either. can't expect the world to start turning the opposite way around tomorrow but anyway um, we've got to leave it there and move on to our international focus which is Asia and let's start with um, China shall we China have, uh, have started lending um, or plan to lend. Okay. Twenty twenty billion dollars worth of credit has been made available for African state fifty African states uh, over the next three years. Right. Um, which is good if you're an African state because money coming from China comes with a lot less uh, regulations, a lot less demands than it does if you borrow from the Washington Consensus. So World yeah. Bank, IMF. United States, Western powers. You've got to open yourself up to yeah. kind of globalisation, etc. You've got to more do... exploitment. Mm. Yeah. The IMF tends to tell you how to run your economy. And stuff. Okay, yeah. but is it is this actually is this actually a good thing? I mean, we not so long ago uh, did a story, covered a story about corruption in South Sudan, for instance. Mm. I mean, there's been plenty of aid that's been flowing toward and. Not well, necessarily aid, but also oil money has been going flowing into the politics, uh, the political elite of um, South Sudan, and that never filtered its well, way got, down. No, they've got a record of creaming large sums of money off the top in all around sub-Saharan African mm-hmm. states. Um, so this probably isn't the best idea to just give them I'm, five billion dollars. This is this is part of the go. problem, isn't it? Um, there's. A very good article in the Mail and Guardian online, which is the website of one of South Africa's main papers, that's quite critical because the Chinese aren't doing this out of the goodness of their hearts. They view it as an investment. And you've got some problems there. Why is China investing in Africa? Um, To cut a long story short, one of the reasons is because the Chinese workforce is becoming westernised in their lifestyle. They're demanding more wages. They're demanding more perks of the job. So China's looking around for cheap labour. Africa fulfils that need. And one of the problems that you have if you are African, this is um, a quote from... Uh, Heiju Kim, research analyst at Stellenbosch University Centre for Chinese Studies. Um, and he says, the most important thing is the host country's willingness to protect its own labour force. Unfortunately, in many cases, African host governments lack the power or at times the will. So you're looking at not only a labour force who are cheap, 
but whose interests are not protected by their own government. Yeah. But what I will say about that is, is South Africa have a vested interest for this whole uh, Chinese input into Africa to Indeed. fail because Chinese... Uh, because South Africans typically themselves were exploiting yeah, on that. Yeah. It is happening on their doorstep. Yeah, yeah. Yes. China is stepping on what South Africa sort of views as its hatch. Yeah. Mm. Uh, as, as it's labour based for yeah. its in- industrialised. Yeah. But it's not just South Africa. Um, head of commercial policy in Mozambique's Ministry of Commerce says that unlike traditional donors, China is only interested in economic relationships, not in playing or friendships. Yeah, he's absolutely convinced this isn't about the extending the, the hand of peace yeah. and goodwill. This is hard business. That's all the Chinese yeah. are interested in they from get, his point they of view. They get good chummy status with these with these guys now and hopefully kind of more access to their resources, although that isn't necessarily tied in with the deal. Um, also on this point, I mean, China still is a benefactor of a large, large sums yeah. of aid. Uh, should really they be receiving that aid or if they are in a position to be able to lend to others? Well, it's the question of the two Chinas, isn't it? I mean, the China that we tend to get a lot of images of is Shanghai, Hong Kong. Um, Men in the suits, effect, big skyscrapers. Yeah, yeah, driving around in their, in their big Western luxury cars and it's boom time. But that's what we see. What we tend not to see is the industrial cities with rivers running with um, pollution. Um, the um, peasants working in rural China, there is still a lot of economic development needed in China, and presumably that's what we're funding. Right. Now, we might want to address at some point whether the wealth in China is fairly distributed, but we probably aren't going to get much in the way of concessions on that from okay. the Chinese government on that. Um, moving on then, uh, well, the US Navy's Great Green Fleet, as, the, as Reuters puts it, um, debuts in the Pacific. Now, um, first of all, clearly this is a show of force, right? Yeah, basically, yeah. It's the US saying, China, you may be meddling... Further east, uh, further west than we'd like it, but we're still here. We've got ships bigger than yours, and yeah. And this is power. this is also the the pullout from, um, if you like, the northern hemisphere, which is where in the second half of the twentieth century, uh, World War Three was supposed to break out. If it did, yeah. Um, and the Americans have taken a good hard look at the global situation, decided that the hot spots are largely around the Pacific. Now, it's not just China by any means. You've also got rogue, rogue states like, um, for That's example, great. North Korea. Mm-hmm. You've yeah, also man. got you know, various other um, fractious um, economic haves and have-nots. Yeah, and there's obviously going to be disputes between Chinese, Japanese, Vietnamese in terms of that area and the minerals on yeah, the sea. Yeah, the whole South China yeah. Sea um, is in dispute. So it's effectively the Americans marking out their territory and saying this is a place where we have a very big state. Yeah, it's also it, a place where they've got very big investments, of course. But another interesting aspect of this is why are they going green? Oh, well, this is yeah. what I was just about to say. This is almost a big propaganda thing yes, from, the, from, the, from the country that's the largest consumer of petro, petrochemicals, uh, petrochemicals yeah. in the world by a considerable margin as well, yeah. um, to then come out and yeah. say, oh, actually, we're running our... Um, we're running, running our, 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 our F-A-18 carriers. strike aircraft on alcohol, yeah. <laughs> which is ironic because US Navy ships are dry, have been for many, many decades. Yeah. So you can't drink on a US <laughs> Navy ship, but you can pour alcohol into the fuel tank of your plane. Well, anyway, um, <laughs> from um, 
from that, we'll, I guess we'll leave it there then, shall we? There's nowhere else to go. Either. No, there really is nowhere else to go. Uh, thank you very much to Ben and to Nev. Thank, thank you for you. coming on the show today. If you'd like to listen again to any of our shows or read some of our articles, please go to www.thepoliticsshow.com. That's Polly with a Y. My name's Michael Turner. Thanks for listening.